Hello and welcome to Handel's Bank and Insights. I'm Sonia Rothwell. On this week's economic update, we'll be discussing the reasons we're expecting negative growth for this quarter. Plus, we'll also talk about the context to the current wave of industrial action. And how did the European Central Bank's announcement of an exciting new tool go down with markets? Joining me today is Daniel Marnie from our UK economics team. Daniel, Handel's Banken is saying that we are expecting Q2 of 2022 to show negative growth. What's what's our research telling us? Yeah, we've, we've been assuming that for a little while, actually. And I think all the indicators that have been coming in over the past few months support that uh, projection. So if we look at what came out last week, uh, we had consumer confidence indicators, PMIs and retail sales, and they all support that conclusion. So on consumer confidence, uh, we still got record low consumer confidence. That's registering lower than it was during the financial crisis. Um, the PMIs, which are a broad indicator of business confidence, uh, they've been falling. They're stabilising above 50, which indicates expansion. But crucially, they don't look at things like retail sales. And if you look at retail sales, they've been on the slide now for quite a few months. So I think that supports the, the picture that we are going to see um, negative growth this quarter. And that's primarily because government spending has been falling away as we enter a new stage of the pandemic and the private sector activity uh, simply won't make up for that shortfall. Um, so, yes, as, as I say, I think we are expecting negative growth for Q2 2022. There is there is one thing that, that you have been looking at which might signal a bright spot further down the line, and that's the decoupling between core inflation and headline inflation. Can you just explain to us what that broadly means and, and, and why you think it, it, it could affect how the inflation rate rise or otherwise will pan out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so core inflation strips out energy and food. And the, the reason for doing that is that those items typically tend to be quite volatile. Um, and if you look at core inflation at the moment, on a year-on-year basis, it has actually fallen, if you look at the last month's figures, uh, mm. whereas the headline rate uh, increased by 0.1 percentage points up to 9.1%. So what that's telling us is that energy and uh, food prices are having a much bigger influence on uh, growth in inflation uh, than core inflation, which is actually falling. Um, so... Core inflation, some of the some of the factors behind it uh, should start moderating because supply chain issues aren't actually as severe as they were towards the end of last year. If you look at uh, this thing called the Global Supply Chain Pressure Index, that's down from 4.3 in November 2021 to 2.9 now, quite a considerable fall. Um, and you can also see if you look at shipping rates, for example, uh, they are historically high, but they are falling um, if you look at month-on-month figures. Um, so that should that should mean things like, you know, inflation for goods uh, should should see a bit of a moderation from that. What's going to be offsetting that, of course, is energy and food prices. And, and in fact, despite core inflation projecting to, to see some falls over the next few months, we do think the headline rate of inflation is going to peak up to about 11% in October. And that's purely because of Ofgem's um, energy price cap being lifted. Um, so I think uh, there is this interesting uh, decoupling now between the headline rate of inflation and core inflation. 
speaking of transport, our listeners will be well aware that there has been quite a bit of, of um, industrial action across the country involving transport. There are ongoing disputes with the RMT Rail Union and recent news that British Airways staff are planning to go on strike. What's the background to this discontent? Yeah, well, effectively, um, these negotiations are over pay. And if you look at real wages since the financial crisis, um, they have effectively stagnated. Um, So real wages in aggregate only exceeded their financial crisis level in 2020. And now we're entering into a very high inflationary environment. We're likely to see real wage falls. Um, The big reason behind that stagnation of real wages is really because labour productivity has performed quite poorly since the financial crisis. Um, So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is, of course, the difference between private sector and public sector pay. So following the financial crisis, private sector pay saw quite a big dip um, in a way that public sector pay didn't. But since then, private sector pay growth has been higher than public sector pay growth. So if you look at now as a point in time, growth in private sector wages since the financial crisis is actually slightly higher than public sector pay. That's obviously not the full story because on average, public sector pe- public sector pensions are more generous than private sector pensions. But nonetheless, I think that's an interesting backdrop uh, to some of the negotiations you're seeing at the moment. So if you look at this year specifically, private sector pay growth has been quite a bit higher than public sector pay growth. And no doubt, um, unions uh, negotiating with uh, various bodies will be highlighting that in terms of trying to uh, request uh, bigger pay settlements for their members. Now, on to our third story, the European Central Bank. Now, they're, they're, very, good, they're very good at thinking and thinking of very catchy terms to, descri- to describe things um, in Europe. And the catchily named defragmentation tool Wonderful. was, uh, <laughs> was, was uh, unveiled or at least talked about last week. And we did mention it uh, briefly in last week's podcast, you might remember. And it's been brought in to tackle the widening spread of yields in German and Italian government bonds. What, why is the ECB concerned about widening yields here? Yeah, so whenever there's, um, whenever there's a substantial difference between bond yields of different euro countries, it usually, seems to, it usually suggests that investors are more concerned about the risk associated with a particular country. So um, recently, uh, there's been quite a widening spread between Italian and German bond yields. Um, at one point, it got up to 250 basis points. Um, and when you get to that sort of level, that seems to suggest that markets think there's a quite a quite a much bigger um, risk of default um, on Italian government debt than German debt. So the ECB um, are naturally concerned about this spread and also growing spreads. Uh, so they met to discuss uh, what to do about this. As you say, they've announced that there'll be a defragmentation tool. The positive reaction to that was that markets uh, seem to, to seem to react well. Um, so there's the spread between German and Italian uh, 10-year bonds uh, reduced by about 50 basis points. I think the thing to emphasise here, though, is that all they did was announce that there would be a defragmentation tool. They haven't actually said what that tool would involve. Um, and there'll be all kinds of political problems in terms of implementing such a tool. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what 
what comes out of uh, this in the next few months. Interesting stuff. So do we have any idea what, what will happen next? Or is it, are, are we waiting to, to understand what this means? Well, there's, there, there has been there has been some chatter behind the scenes about what what might happen. So uh, the European Central Bank, in the same way that a lot of other central banks have been doing, had quite a big quantitative easing programme during COVID. Um, what that was doing during COVID was uh, buying up euro bonds in proportion to the size of the economies. What they may do going forward is be more selective. So they may do some quantitative tightening in terms of German bonds, but continue the quantitative easing on Italian bonds. That could be one way around it. There'll be lots of political challenges, of course, from that, not just um, from from politicians, but also from um, institutions like the German Constitutional Court. So whether they'll be able to pull something off like that is is very much open to question. I suspect they will do something um, that is targeted specifically at trying to uh, reduce the yields on Italian and other peripheral, peripheral euro economy uh, bonds. But I think I think because of all those constraints, they will be limited in what they can do. And I think naturally what that's going to mean is that uh, interest rates in the euro area are not going to increase as much as markets are expecting. Um, so, so, yeah, be interesting to see what happens. So thanks very much for that, Dan. Thanks for listening to Handel's Bank and Insights. If you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on the app where you're listening because it helps other people find us. You might also want to share this episode on social media. See you next time.